Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good morning, this is Cheryl Esposito with Leading Conversations today, and we have a very special guest, Peter Barnes, who is co-founder of Working Assets, a successful journalist, a thought leader, and author of his most recent work, Capitalism 3.0, A Guide to Reclaiming the Commons. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Cheryl. How are you today? Uh, So far, so good. So far, so good. Where are you today? I'm in Point Reyes Station, California. It's a little town about 50 miles north of San Francisco. Oh, how beautiful. It's so nice out there. Is that where you live? I do live here, yes. Mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate. Well, I want to know more about that because I know that you have um, created in the past Tamales Bay Institute, um, which is in Point Reyes, and I want to talk to you about that. Our topic today is common wealth, leading the future. And, um, Peter, I was quite delighted to meet you a few weeks ago and um, to learn about some of the work you're doing. And your book, your new book, Capitalism 3.0, has a bit of an avant-garde theory around what we need to do with our economy here in the, in the world, in the capitalistic world. Can you talk a little bit about what got you interested in economics and capitalism to begin with? Like, you've been interested in this forever. How right. did you get Well, there? for a long time. Um, my father was an economist, so maybe ah. that, that got me <laughs> going. But um, I was in business for 20 years. Um, I started uh, a solar energy business back in the 1970s when uh, there was uh, a, an early wave of interest, which subsequently died. Um, and then I co-founded Working Assets. Anyway, uh, all of these businesses that I was in mm-hmm. were socially responsible in the sense that they were consciously created by the founders with multiple bottom lines. So I spent 20 years doing a lot of that socially responsible business, and at first, when I got into it, I thought that this was going to change the world. You know, if all businesses just uh, <laughs> did this, uh, it would solve all our problems. Uh-huh. But by the time I retired um, 20 years later, uh, I had another uh, view on it, which was that, uh, no, um, this was good, but it's it wasn't a systematic solution to the problems of capitalism that are causing, among other things, climate change, and great inequality, greater and greater inequality amongst um, humans. Uh, those are systemic problems, and no amount of uh, you know businesses trying to do a little better um, voluntarily is going to fix those problems. Hmm. Well, now, I've, I read in your book, um, you talk about how we don't have to give up our current system completely in order to make um, fundamental change happen. And I think that that's important because there is an awful lot of conversation these days around having to overhaul our economic system almost at a wholesale level and, um, you know, that it just doesn't work, that it's 
evil, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not your approach at all. Could you no, talk a no, bit that, about that? No, no, that certainly isn't. I mean, having been a businessman for 20 years uh, and retired because I was successful uh, in business, I'm certainly um, not uh, coming from an anti-capitalist right. uh, point of view here. But I see the flaws in the system, and and I understand the operating system. I, I mm-hmm. And I all and then all of us now, I think, thanks to computers, have a better understanding of how operating systems work and mm. and how they can also be upgraded. So, really, what I came to think about was, well, there's a lot of good stuff in capitalism that's just fine as is. Wouldn't want to, you know, tinker with that. But there are these flaws, and they're serious flaws, and they're destroying the planet. Uh, for one thing, because pollution just keeps on growing and growing, and the atmosphere obviously can only absorb so much of it, and we've pretty much filled up the air with all that it can hold. So we have climate change, big, serious problem. Um, Also, it becomes apparent after a while that uh, capitalism just makes bigger gaps between the rich and the poor. Mm. Uh, That problem doesn't seem capable of being fixed by the system as it is. Mm -hmm. And then there's a third big problem that people are starting to focus on, I think, nowadays, which is that actually all the hyperactivity that capitalism generates and the huge output of stuff uh, doesn't actually make us happier. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's good up to a point because rising out of poverty and getting a certain amount of economic security certainly does contribute to personal well-being, psychological well-being. But after you get to a certain point, uh, there's so much um, freneticness and pressure and uh, time pressure and so forth in our system that it begins to diminish rather than increase happiness. Interesting. And so you have um, pointed to that there are some specific flaws and that there are some ways for us to um, to incorporate the things that do make us happy into the new system that you're proposing. What are some of those things? Right. Well, I would leave businesses pretty much as they are. In other words, I, I've sort of given up on this idea that uh, we've got to reform businesses from within. I mean, that's a good thing, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with with what's wrong with capitalism is, well, to use a fancy term, which I don't like, it, it involves too much externalization of costs. If you're in business and you want to dump stuff into the atmosphere, you just go ahead and do that for free. There's no cost, and yet there is a huge cost imposed on society and on Uh nature. Uh So how do we internalize those costs so that businesses have to pay them as they go? And if you do have to pay more to pollute, well, you're going to figure out some ways to do business that involve less pollution. So, But as long as pollution is free, you're not going to do that. You're just going to pollute. So this is a huge flaw in the operating system, and and the way I suggest that we fix it is to create, in effect, almost another business entity, but it's not a for-profit business, but it's a trust that, let's imagine it as 
owning or managing or being the trustee of the atmosphere. So if you're somebody like a company that sends stuff out of a big smokestack into the atmosphere today, you're not paying anything because nobody owns the atmosphere. Right. But all of a sudden, you've got a trust that's owning, acting as if it owns the atmosphere, and it's saying to you, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, we were not going to just let you dump this stuff for free. Uh, we're uh, we're going to sell you some permits if you want to buy them, and uh, we're going to let the market set the price. We're going to set the limit on how many permits based on what is good for the planet, and then we're going to sell you these permits, and um, uh, companies will bid, and uh, and there'll be overall there'll be less pollution, and there'll also be some a price, and there'll be some money coming to us, the, the trustees. So the trustees are just the citizens. Well, there's a couple of ways it could be it could work. Um, you could, in theory, have government be the trustee of the atmosphere. That's not my preferred solution. I'd rather see the trustee of the atmosphere being an independent trust whose beneficiaries are everybody, one person, one share. Right. So kind of like a mutual fund or something hmm. like that where everybody owns one share. And then when revenue flows into this trust uh, for from the sale of pollution permits from the sale of a declining number of pollution permits Mm -hmm. because you would crank pollution down a little bit every year until you got it down to safe levels. That money, uh, we could do, the trustees could do um, a couple of things with it. Uh, One simple thing would just be to distribute it to the beneficiaries, which would be all persons, one person, one share, so you'd get a dividend check at the end of the year. This is similar to what Alaska does with its oil revenue. Everybody in Alaska gets the dividend once a year. Um, Or, or and, some combination, you could invest that income uh, in public goods. There's a whole number of things that would be a good thing to invest in, which uh, would also um, transition our economy towards a low carbon infrastructure. You know, we could be investing in renewable energy and Mm. conservation and Mm. all sorts of good things. So um, that's basically uh, how you could upgrade the operating system, so to speak, uh, add a new entity, a trust that is representing ecosystems on behalf of future generations and all living citizens equally. And those trusts would be kind of a counterbalance to the corporations, um, and they would have their assets, you know, things like the atmosphere, various other ecosystems, watersheds, and so mm-hmm. forth. They would be in charge of those. Corporations would be doing what they do, um, but they'd be paying, they'd now be paying for the right, limited rights to use these precious ecosystems and someone would would be in charge of those ecosystems and and have a responsibility to manage them for long-term preservation rather than for short-term profit maximization. Hmm. And so it's not 
it's a little bit opposite of what we have right now, which is uh, we do have some regulation, and then if somebody breaks the rules, they get fined. Right. And the uh, and what you're talking about is people would actually pay up front to have the right to have access to some of the resources, and there would be responsibility that went along with that in terms of how they use those resources. Exactly. In other in other words, it it doesn't sort of criminalize behavior and penalize you if you're bad. It, it, right. It's much more of a market-based thing where you pay a price to use a common property, in this case, the atmosphere. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. Well, we're going to talk more about this with Peter Barnes when we come right back. The Bottom Line in Business Talk. Voice America Business. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leaders the world has been waiting for. Call today. The challenge of change comes as ramped up due to the advent of information age and the interconnectedness of the global community. In a high-tech world, the ability to embrace change, adapt, and respond accordingly is key to personal and professional success. Talking Change with Ann Powers, airing every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, explores the hows, whys, and what to do when faced with change. Embrace the new reality, adopt transition into your personal power portfolio, and tune into Talking Change with Ann Powers every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time Right here on the Bottom Line of Business Talk, Voice America Business. Are you looking for a unique perspective on today's market from an experienced economist? Well, look no further. Listen to The Economic Contrarian with host Mike Norman every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Business America Radio. Mike and his guests will discuss new trends in the marketplace as well as emerging companies and opportunities. So if you want in-depth analysis from a contrarian point of view, don't miss The Economic Contrarian Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back. We're speaking with Peter Barnes today, author of Capitalism 3.0, A Guide to Reclaiming the Commons. Peter, you were explaining the process of upgrading our economic operating system. And I'm curious about the term in the title, the commons. Could you talk about what you mean by the commons? Yes. Um, 
what I really mean is common wealth. Um, in other words, I'm not referring to a pasture, let's say, but mm-hmm. uh, this is more of a generic term like the market. You know, okay, commons or common wealth is is all the stuff that we own together as opposed to private wealth, which is the stuff we own individually. Now, you know, most of the focus in uh, economics and in the media is all about private wealth. Mm. That everybody focuses on sure. for good reason. But um, there's also all this other stuff out there that one could call common wealth that is seemingly owned by nobody but um, is, is, is very valuable. And this includes... Uh, all the gifts of nature, like we were talking about the atmosphere or the water or our DNA or, you know, uh, a forest or wetlands. These Mm. are all gifts of nature. And now that we understand more about how the planet all works and everything's connected to everything else, these, these, um, these ecosystems are of obviously great importance. Mm. Okay, then there's also the gifts of society of our ancestors all the roads are the obvious example or um, schools but the less obvious things like our legal systems and our monetary systems and uh, 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 our political systems all of these things are social uh, assets you might say commonwealth and then there's the all the intellectual stuff the art the artistic and cultural heritage our language, our science, our math, all this stuff immensely valuable that really is part of a commons that belongs to everyone. Hmm. And so the theory here is that if we can essentially take people's view of the world and shift it to um, less of of a private property model and more of a common property model, um, that there that we ultimately could end up with a an earth that is healthy for all right that that's the idea uh we need a balance that's that's what i'm saying i mean there's plenty of room for private property uh but we have but the problem is now that things are way out of balance, and private property um totally dominates common property and isn't you know is is um steadily diminishing and destroying the commons. So mm-hmm. private property is a little out of control right now, and we need mm-hmm. to give the commons some more strength mm-hmm. so it can stand up and say, well, no, you know, this can't be taken, or you can't dump your wastes in mm-hmm. here, or only up to some point. This is common, and we need to keep it as common and keep it in good health. And if we do that, so we have vibrant private sector, but also this vibrant, well-managed common sector that we pay attention to just as we pay all this attention to the private sector. If you have these two things healthy and balancing each other, then, yeah, then I think we might have a chance at at saving the planet. Right. Saving humanity. Right. Well, there certainly seems to be a lot of attention these days um, focused around um, the green revolution, and um, I know that there are many people, and myself included, having moments of, well, okay, let's see if it really happens, um, 
because it seems like all of a sudden we've hit this tipping point where everybody is jumping on the bandwagon, and so every large corporation has some sort of green initiative, and you know you can't help but be a little cynical sometimes and say, well, you know, is this just for you know show so they can say raise their hand and say yes we're doing something, or is there going to be a real shift in you know how how we do business? The, the sense of responsibility um, that we demand organizations take for this planet. Well, yes, I think this shift in consciousness that, that you've just talked about is, is definitely happening, and it's great, but it isn't enough to save us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to, I mean, let's just focus on one part of what is a much bigger problem, but let's focus on climate. Okay. Um, I mean, it, because it's 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 paradigmatic, really, of what's happening with yeah. uh, uh, overuse of, of ecosystems. Um, the scientists are saying that we have to cut our greenhouse gas emissions 80 percent, actually, and that and if you break that down between the countries and the fact that some of the developing countries have, uh, I think, a legitimate right to uh, use more of their share going forward than, than we did. Anyway, uh, we in the U.S. are going to have to cut 90% of our carbon dioxide emissions. That's huge. Right. And that is not something that can happen just with companies voluntarily adopting, you know, right. green little, you know, mostly right. cosmetic changes. That requires the a mobilization practically on the level of what we did in World War II to redirect our economy, to hmm. uh, replace, not all at once, but over 30 years, uh, our current carbon-intensive infrastructure with a whole new infrastructure that is based on solar and wind and uh, tidal energies. Uh, I mean, some people say nuclear. I don't think that would be wise. But obviously with non-carbon forms of energy. This is a big deal that requires, you know, top-to-bottom collaboration that basically has to be orchestrated uh, by government. Mm -hmm. And um, there's various ways it could be done, and the more market-based you do it, the better it's going to work. I do believe that. But someone has to compel every business and every consumer to, for first of all, pay a price for emitting carbon. So the government right. has to do that, and and also to limit emissions and gradually crank down that limit. So those are the two things government has to do, or if it doesn't do it itself, it can set up a mechanism or an institution like a trust, which I was describing earlier, right. which would do it, but ultimately the authority has to come from government. So there's no getting away from the need for major macroeconomic right. government policy here. Right, right. Well, what do you think the likelihood is that we can move towards something like this fast enough to really make a difference. Well, you, think you, know, about, <laughs> you know... Well, I mean, just think about how long it has taken some of our government officials to even acknowledge that there is a climate problem. 
You know, right? Global warming. I feel your pain. (laughs) I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Right, (laughs) yeah. Uh, All I can say is we've got to try, and we've got to use our smarts. I mean, we have the smarts to do this. It's not that we lack the smarts. Uh, The science is in. We know how to mobilize uh, economies when there is an emergency. Now, we are in a huge emergency. The future of the planet is at stake. The the, the earth as we know it and, uh, that we are passing on to our own children is going to be vastly different from the earth that we inherited. And there's there's a little bit of time left maybe to save it. That's all we know. We don't know for sure we can save it. There are some people who say it's too late. But there are a lot of people who say there's just enough time if we start acting now. So, um, I mean, we have to do it, and we have to do it smart, quickly, you know, from the top of the economy all the way down to the bottom. Well, and you must be in conversation with some people who are um, pretty high level in organizations, and, you know, what kind of response are you getting from them? Well, (laughs) the people I talk to, of course, tend to agree with this analysis and agree that we have to take action. I mean, part of the problem is everybody agrees, I I would say now, you know, almost everybody agrees this is a serious problem and we need to take serious action. But where it's getting bogged down, of course, is in politics and the self-interest of a lot of powerful economic players that are conflicting. This is why we have no clear way forward at the moment. But um, that will sort itself out. And what I hope, I mean, in the not-too-distant future, I think it will not happen in any serious way before we have a new president, which we will in 2009. Yes. Um, But presumably shortly after the new president takes office, I would guess that within the first 100 days, there will be major climate legislation passed and enacted in this country. And uh, again, and then it's a question of how good is that legislation? Mm -hmm. Does it work? Does it capture all the carbon in the economy and Mm -hmm. crank it down? Mm -hmm. Uh, Does it invest in renewables and do all that stuff? I mean, so the odds of us getting it right, I don't know. They're kind of low. Yeah. You <laughs> want my at least with the but, first pass, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, if we'd started on this 15 years ago, yeah. you, we'd have a little more room for error. Right. Uh, right. We don't have a, a lot of wiggle room at this point. Right. Right. Well, there's a whole lot more to talk about with Peter Barnes, and we'll be right back. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leaders the world has been waiting for. Call today. 
Growing a business successfully not only requires increased sales, but profitable sales. Over 80% of small businesses will fail to do this in the first five years. On Acorns to Oaks, Growing Your Small Business with Tom Long, he will share his years of business experience to maximize profitability and ensure longevity and sustainability. Broadcasting every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, Acorns to Oaks, Growing Your Small Business provides insight into key areas of business, coordination of management, finance, operations, time management, people, and marketing, as well as sales. Tune in and learn how to grow your business into that mighty oak every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back with Peter Barnes, author of Capitalism 3.0, A Guide to Reclaiming the Commons. And our topic today is Commonwealth, Leading the Future. Peter, you've talked about um, that the future is really the responsibility of those of us on this planet right now and that we don't have the luxury of thinking that the future will take care of itself. Um, in your book, you lay a whole lot of responsibility at the feet of government. And I'm wondering um, how we in all over the world, but let's talk about the United States, um, we as citizens have a tendency as a culture to sit and wait for our government and our politicians to do something, to make something happen. And when they don't, we, you know, kind of stomp our feet and say, darn those people, you know, why aren't they doing it the right way? And especially in this most recent um, administration, it seems like people are more reticent than ever to stand up and um, protest, so to speak. Um, I'm wondering what needs to happen in our culture to push ideas like this to the forefront, to make action happen. Right. Well, it's tough to do things at the federal level, that's for sure. Mm. But, you know, a funny thing has happened uh, since uh, Bush was elected president and he pulled out of the Kyoto Protocol right, and said right. he just wasn't going to do anything about climate. Right. What happened was that all of a sudden the states started to step into the void. And, and, and they did that because there was a lot of citizen pressure building on on local and state public officials. Mm. Um, and now all of a sudden, in fact, in today's newspaper, there's a story about how uh, U.S. corporations are concerned that there are so many different states getting involved in climate policy and that now they're going to make the federal government do something 
hmm. if only to have uniform policies across the country. The point is that um, even though Washington is a distant place and it's hard for citizens to get involved there, that there's a lot that can be done at local and state levels hmm. politically and that it then does filter up. Mm -hmm. So uh, don't despair in that regard. <laughs> so if things do move forward in the way that you would like to see them, um, what do you think would be a couple of the first things that would be happening that would be noticeable to you know you and me, citizen, on the street? Well, um, what would be noticeable probably are things you might not like. <laughs> uh, that is to say, um, prices would go up for gasoline. If, if we manage, if we set up um, our institutions right, uh, if we did this upgrade of capitalism that I'm talking about, right, right. pollution would no longer be free. Uh, we would be paying more for a lot of things that are now apparently, but misleadingly, cheap. Right. So uh, we would notice that. But we would also notice something else, which is that uh, at the end of the year, we would get a dividend check, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, if this were done right, where the trusts that were set up to manage our commons also distributed some of the rent charged for using the commons, if right. they distributed that to all of us equally, then we would get a check, a dividend, so to speak, equal. Everybody would get the same dividend. Mm -hmm. So you would have a situation where, on the one hand, we're paying more because we're paying the truer costs of, of uh, our consumption. Uh, but on the other hand, we're also getting some money back as sort of owners or beneficiaries of the commons. And this would give us, as both as, as, as individuals, some price signals, some, some market signals. Mm -hmm. It would tell us to consume less gasoline, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but but um, it would also keep give us some money back. So if we wanted to spend money on other things that were less polluting, we would be able to do that. Mm. I don't know if this is clear, but, but the idea is we'd be using market mechanisms right. and signals to uh, protect the planet, uh, to have a little bit of a more equitable distribution of income, mm -hmm. and uh, to send ourselves the right signals to, on, on how to you know, channel and limit our consumption. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, just recently there's been... Um, reports that the the price of gas currently, which seems to be high for those of us in the United States, but anyone who travels around the world knows that our gas is ridiculously cheap, um, but that these prices being increased actually are affecting people's um, driving patterns and that people are changing the way they do things and how they get places and so it's already begun to affect people's behavior in some way, um, but haven't we gone through that before? I mean, it seems like this feels like a, a flashback to the 70s, you know, high high gas prices at the time we had gas lines, et cetera. 
um, with our purported gas shortage. Um, and then it just disappeared. I mean, where did it go? Well, it disappeared because uh, you're right, Because partly because we got Ronald Reagan uh, and he made it or, you know, disappear uh, from our consciousness anyway. And, yeah. and partly also because... Um, uh, what? Because there was some conservation, because we began to diversify our energy sources so we weren't so reliant on OPEC, so that the price of uh, oil actually came down for a while. Then we lost all interest in conservation right. and renewables and so forth. That was right. why well, I got into the solar business in the 70s after the first oil crisis. And then, as you say, then we lost sight of all that and, and um, changed the policies, such as the solar tax right credits that uh, were helping to, to promote this transition, and right. boom, it just died, absolutely. Right. Right. So we, can't, we won't, but that's not going to replay. I think we understand now that, uh, that the um, pricing of pollution has got to be a permanent thing, and not only that, but it's got to go up hmm. over time hmm. Uh, hmm. as we begin to exhaust even what little is left hmm. of the atmosphere's pollution absorption capacity. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much um, this evolution of thinking is somewhat related to the baby boomer generation um, growing older and turning around and looking at the generation that's going to be moving forward and saying, hmm, things aren't looking so good. And feeling like, you know, as baby boomers... Um, tend to, I've always said, baby boomers tend to get their way because it's such a large population. And so, you know, whatever um, the boomers, you know, tend to move toward seems to become the norm. And so I'm wondering, is it connected to this? Is there something to that? I think so. You know, I mean, I'm uh, on the upper edge of the baby boom, and um, I very much... And I have two kids, two boys. That uh, uh, the world that I am leaving behind is a hell of a mess, yeah. and that that my generation, our generation, has had one big party for the yeah. last fifty, sixty years, right? Yeah. And we're leaving the mess. I mean, yeah. uh, for our kids, and and that is a uh, that's unconscionable, and. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we have time to clean it up, but but what I'm hoping we do before we depart the planet is is at least fix the system so that the system begins to you know not pollute as much as it does now, mm. and maybe the Earth will bounce back. Mm. That's about the most we can do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and of course, this speaks to education and um, how we, I mean, how we even teach kids about the world they live in, we live in. Um, everything has to change. If we're going to make systemic change happen, it has to touch everything in life. And that, you know, sounds so daunting. You know, I mean, how do we, um, how do we make it happen fast? Yeah. Well, obviously it requires national leadership, yeah. uh, which we're not getting, but uh, at the moment, but hopefully that will change, and uh, mm -hmm. I think I think inevitably it will. I mean, it seems that we've 
I, I hate to rely on blind luck, but you know, <laughs> we we have been lucky in the past. You know, we have Roosevelt in the 1930s, and uh, you know, we need another sort of uh, leader like that. I think to get us through the current crisis. Do we have one sitting in the wings somewhere? Well, uh, I like to think that there may be one. I mean, what what I what I uh, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but the thing to remember about Roosevelt was that nobody knew before he was elected that he would turn out the way he did. He ran on a completely different program for what he actually from what he actually did. And uh, he grew into the job. I mean, the, ah. and the crisis kind of created the man. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible we could luck out <laughs> uh, one more time. Mm. I, I certainly hope so. Yeah, so there may be somebody who could grow into the job, huh? Yeah. Well, that would be delightful. I would be so happy if that could happen. Um, you know, that in itself, um, the whole concept of having a leader of the country who can really say, this is what you all think, but this is the truth, you know. I mean, this is this may be the fun game we've been playing, but this is the truth. And you may not like to hear this, but this is the truth. And really stand up and take it, because most politicians can't do that, you know. Most politicians want to... Um, listen to what the polls say, and then say, oh, that's what everybody wants me to be doing. And and that's not leadership. You know, I mean, it's, it, we're, we're fundamentally missing leadership in our political system. And, you know, as a result, in ourselves, I think. You know, I kind of turn around and I look at all of us and I look at my friends and I say, you know, we're all really highly intelligent people and we live our life pretty well and we try quote-unquote, to tread lightly on the planet as much as we can, and yet we kind of want it all, you know. And so where's my own leadership, you know, and where's the leadership in our government and in our, in our politicians? And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if there's a question in that as much as yeah. a, a lament, you know. It is a lament, and it's an understandable one. I mean, there is clearly a leadership vacuum yeah. uh, in our country today. Uh, but nature abhors a vacuum, so maybe this will change. Hmm. Well, we're going to come right back and continue our conversation with Peter Barnes. More and more people are starting their day with informative, focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leader the world has been waiting for. Call today. Mr. Simplicity, Bill Jensen is on a mission to make it easier for you to get stuff done. 
He wants you to do less stupid stuff so you can do more of what matters. He'll coach you as a speaker at your event or one-on-one. He'll help you by consulting side-by-side with your teams, and he'll teach you through his books and downloads from his website. Visit today at www.simplerwork.com, and he welcomes your emails at bill at simplerwork.com. Smarter, not harder, is your work and your life, condensed and clarified. Mr. Simplicity is on a mission to make it easier for you to get stuff done. He'll give you the tools you need to do less stupid stuff and do more of what really matters. Let's succeed together. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellent and both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Business information you need from the stock market to starting and managing your business. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back. We're speaking with Peter Barnes today, author of Capitalism 3.0, A Guide to Reclaiming the Commons. Peter, we were speaking about leadership, and I'm curious to know, um, as you look around the field that you work in, which really, as a thought leader yourself and as someone who's very connected and concerned with the future of the earth, um, I'm wondering who you see as leaders in the field that you're working in. Well, I mean, the obvious one that comes to mind is Al Gore. Uh, who, not just with his movie or slideshow, An Inconvenient Truth, but with his latest book, I think it's called The Assault on Reason, Mm. has really come out, uh, you know, just telling it like it is, which is so rare and refreshing. Of course, it's probably a function of the fact that uh, he has no intention of running for president. Right. And... um, he was not like this when he was vice president and and running for president. So it does make one wonder whether uh, you know leadership and 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 the the search for political office are compatible, which was right. the point that you were making earlier. Um, but you know, I think I think leaders 
so-called leaders, at least political leaders, tend to be in some way followers more than leaders, or they need to be pushed into leading. And I think in some way uh, Al Gore is doing a, a really effective job of pushing the whole uh, the whole body of opinion towards a sense of urgency on climate so that that makes it possible for the next president, whatever he or she says during the course of the political campaign, to actually step up and take serious action after the next election. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, I uh, but the leaders, uh, you know, there are a lot of leaders who aren't so well-known, uh, who are quite clear on what needs to be done about many things, and uh, I'm sure many of them have been on your show. Uh, I, uh, the question of whether this filters up, of course, mm. is, is the bigger question, and um, I have to believe that it does, but that it takes some time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one thing that uh, if you look back over the long run of history, or at least of American history, you see that there are big ideas that are put out, you know, everything from abolishing slavery to letting labor unions be legally organized and uh, letting women vote. I mean, things that now seem kind of normal and, and commonplace, but at one time in our history were extremely radical ideas and seemed far beyond what uh, any leader could propose, and yet they came to be, and they came to be accepted as as completely normal. It just takes time. I mean, of course, the question now is, do we have the time? And this is what I think adds to everybody's anxieties. We're not so sure we have the time. Right, right. Uh, and I don't know, you know. That's, that's, that's really, I think nobody knows the answer right, to that. Right. It feels like we should be moving faster than we seem capable mm-hmm. of moving, mm-hmm. uh, but I have a feeling we'll we'll <laughs> slip in under the wire. You know, I just have to believe it. Well, we do love the you know the scary endings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, well, and I I wonder too if you know it, it doesn't really matter whether we have the time or not. We should just be doing what's right. Yeah. And um and so maybe that's really more um where we should be putting our attention anyway. That's you know, right. Is, yeah. yeah. We, we don't know it. if we have the time, that's so right. we just have to do what's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I love one of the quotes you have in the book. Um you say when capitalism started, nature was abundant and capital was scarce. It thus made sense to reward capital above all else. Today, we're awash in capital and literally running out of nature. And when I read that, and I thought how so clearly said, and, um, and it made me think of something that's happening with kids, um, that they're actually finding that there is a syndrome, and I forget what they call it, but it, it has to do with kids who, oh, I know, it's nature deficit disorder. Oh, my. It's actually because kids are not connected to nature, and that it's creating hyperactivity and attention deficit, and and I thought, well, now, isn't this interesting that they've, they've linked this? And so more than just, you know, 
know, saving the earth. It's about saving, you know, the sanity of human beings. I mean, you know, that's what this is really about. Absolutely. I hadn't heard of that disorder, but I think that's a very good uh, concept. It makes sense, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I find this work um, so thought-provoking, and I am always fascinated with someone like you who has the capacity to think like this. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, where did he come up with all this stuff? <laughs> you know? I mean, this is this is brilliance. This is absolute brilliance, and um, we are graced to have someone like you on the planet who can see, you know, through all the stuff and the media and the, and the images and the messages that we get all day long, that, you know, you have the capacity to see in a different way. And um, we have a responsibility to learn from that. And um, I, I am very honored to have had you here today. And... Our time is coming to a close already. I can't believe it. Hmm. Um, and, and so is there any last comments you want to make, Peter? Well, first of all, thank you, Cheryl, uh, for those very nice comments. And um, I would like to think that um, my, my ability to, to, to think at this somewhat deeper level is really a function of the fact that I retired at a relatively young age. <laughs> uh, and um, still had some energy left, but uh, didn't have to, um, you know, get in the rat race every day. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I would just like to mention that uh, for any listener who might be interested in uh, learning more about my book, Capitalism 3.0, there is a website, which is capitalism3.com, and the, you can actually read the entire book on that website or download it uh, so um, I invite you to do that. Great. And that's capitalism and the number three, right? The number three capitalism dot number com. Three dot right. com. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Well, Peter, um, best of luck on your book. This is a fabulous book. I really enjoyed it. And I so enjoyed having you here today. It was such a gift. And I look forward to having you back again. Maybe we can uh, get updates, like how we're doing, you know? How's the earth doing? You know? All right. That would be great. Well, I enjoyed it, too, very much. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much. So remember, everybody, you can join us every Friday, 10 a.m., for a live show. And um, throughout the week, you can hear shows rebroadcast. And I'd like to remind you all to think big, because the world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G dot com. See you next week.